Good morning and welcome to Thursday morning, February the 1st in 2024 on When I Rise. Say we continue year B, the fifth Sunday after Epiphany, and on the Thursday of the week, we'd like to take a look at the New Testament letter passage, which comes to us from this week from the Revised Common Lectionary, this week of the church's calendar year. And so we find ourselves back in 1 Corinthians, a little bit further in the text, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 16 through 23. So let me read that passage provide a couple points for reflection, and then we'll spend our time praying along the theme that we find there. Thanks for making us part of your morning on When I Rise. Let's allow our souls to rise and meet God together in a time of prayer. First Corinthians chapter 9, verses 16 through 23. If I announce the gospel, you see, that's no reason for me to be proud. I'm under compulsion. Woe be it to me if I don't announce the gospel. If I do it willingly, I have a reward. If I do it unwillingly, well, this is the commission that's been entrusted to me. So what is my reward? Just this, that when I announce the gospel, I should give it away free of charge, that I shouldn't make use of my rights in the gospel. The reason for all this as, is as follows. I am indeed free from everyone, but I have enslaved myself to everyone so that I can win all the more. I became like a Jew to the Jews to win the Jews. I became like someone under the law to the people who are under the law, even though I'm myself not under the law, so that I could win those under the law. To the lawless, I became like a law, someone lawless, even though I'm not lawless before God, but under the Messiah's law, so that I could win the lawless. I became weak to the weak to win the weak. I've become all things to all people, so that in all ways I might save some. I do it all because of the gospel, so that I can be a partner in its benefits. This is the word of God for us. Sometimes I think about the New Testament, trying to read it, and um, we're like peering over Paul's shoulder as he writes to these different churches. and. In some ways, I kind of feel strange uh, trying to imagine what Paul is like, what the situation is like, what are the people like that he's writing to, so I can get some sort of a semblance of this is what's been going on and then trying to go from Paul's world into our own world and try to figure out what does this mean for me? How should I live as a faithful one like Paul was trying to do? And how can I encourage others who are Christians who want to do the same thing uh, to get closer and closer, closer to faithfulness? Um, I think sometimes I just have to admit my first in initial idea of Paul, the image I had in my mind early in the days of Bible reading and taking it more seriously, underlining stuff and highlighting things and going to classes, was Paul was like some towering scholar in a lecture hall, uh, someone who would uh, get you know, questions lobbed at him and he would be able to give answers back in return. And you know, he, he would do such a great job that he could like spike the Bible on the way out as he's carried on the shoulders of all of his students. and. It doesn't seem to be the case. When we get into the granular level of the New Testament letters, uh, Paul was resisted by some. He was misunderstood again and again. And uh, he seems quite out of bounds from where his life trajectory probably was first rendered. Um, and so when I think about Paul now and I read his words, like the inner monologue, the inner picture that I have is a guy who's like a, I don't know, he's like an Uber driver from a different country. 
that uh, in a long enough car ride, if you get talking with him, you know that he's got so much in his depths, like not just head knowledge, but also life knowledge. And uh, you almost are tempted to say, hey, let's uh, take another turn around the block so you can get all the way to the bottom of your digression before I'm left off on the curb and I'll still give you a high review because of it. Uh, And that right here is where we see Paul trying to reckon with a couple of things. Number one, he's deeply Jewish and he never ceases to be Jewish. I think that's something that Protestants have left to the side along the way. They think that he left, quote, Judaism for, quote, Christianity. Uh, but Paul's deeply Jewish to the very end of his life. Um, the way that he renders the Shema prayer, uh, for instance, um, he reworks it to a place like we saw a couple weeks ago or last week in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Um, there's a sense where his social ethic, personal ethics are still uh, st- steeped in Judaism. And so we would see like whenever there's like a jump ball between the Jews and the non-Jews that we would assume that Paul would uh, try to side with those sectarian Jews that he came to know so well that he remained. But we see again and again, the further he gets out from Jerusalem and the further he gets into these communities and he witnesses, you know, two stark realities that the Messiah's already been at work in some of these remote Gentile regions, but also how deep the idolatry was that grieved the heart of God. Uh, Paul begins to render a missional theology. And his missional theology is to do something quite creative, which is not just to go to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. Uh, This is a passage that we hear quite a bit, particularly in modern church circles where we're trying to go further uh, than maybe our parents' generation or our grandparents' generation to try to appeal to people who've never been in church before. Um, There is a sense where there's a growing population, particularly in the American frontier, of those who are the nuns. And we're not talking about nice ladies and religious orders, but we're talking about those who have no religious affiliations, the the, the fastest growing religious group in American life. And uh, the younger somebody is, the more likely they are to be in that nun or no particular belief bucket. Uh, We also have now second and third generation atheistic families that they don't have any religious habits they don't pretend to turn up on a candlelight service christmas eve service Uh, they don't attend easter just at christmas or church at just christmas and easter but they are those who uh, not only for themselves like this uh, honestly gained atheism pushing away from their religious family systems but now they've got their own family system of non-belief and they raise their kids in that milieu and their kids have raised their kids. And so they have these second and third generation family networks um, of atheism. And so we think, how are we going to be the church today? Um, the church has gone from, you know, something that was relatively common to uh, more and more uncommon. And so what is uh, the call now for church leaders is to come to a place like First Corinthians 9 and say, if the Apostle Paul can find a way to thread the needle to still be deeply Jewish, but also, as he says here in his words, become those outside of the law to win those outside of the law, then maybe there is some sort of a sense that Christians today can also uh, journey into uh, places outside, quote, outside the boundaries of what we thought was normal uh, for the Christian world in order to appeal uh, to those with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I see this as a foundational missional text. That this one person can remain faithful, but also seek the unity of all people. So once again, we're at this, this paradox that N.T. Wright tells us. 
that the church always wrestles with the paradox of unity and holiness. How do we include more and more people together, unity, and how do we stay faithful unto our one God, holiness? And uh, we see a place like Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, and, and other places where it said that this unity and holiness is going to be the common cause of all church people. And so it's something for us to, to wrestle with today, like in our own unique Christian column, but also in communities. What does it mean to be faithful and to include more people so that all people might know the love of God that we've come to know? So with those things in mind, let's spend some time praying to our God this morning. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you that uh, you send us out into this world and we're not on our, on our own, but this is the world that you love. And so as we go from place to place, we see lives that you we know that you love and that we love too, that we can bring them into your care and that we can take with great humility and boldness steps to reveal who you are to them. And so we just pray for loved ones, coworkers, friends at work, school, neighborhoods, uh, family systems that seem far away from you. Um, we thank you that uh, they're not as far as we think and that uh, your kindness draws people to repentance. So we pray that your kindness would be extended to all people and that you draw them to yourself. And if it, you seem fit uh, for, to include us in that story of their awakening to faith, uh, we rejoice in that. So give us the words to say, uh, the heart, but also the actions to reveal Christ to them. And so the grace of God can reach to them in its many forms. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.